you do? Here was his answer. He said, I just go around bragging on God. I like that answer. I think that's what the church is all about. We go around bragging on God. We brag on Jesus. We tell people who God is and what his son did for us. It's a pretty good answer. Somebody else said, you know, the purpose of the church is to keep pure the revealed word of truth. And I also believe that's part of our duty. God's word says, you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. We want to be sure that truth is preached. We love it, we believe it, and we honor it with our lives. And so we keep pure the revealed word of truth. But I like this answer. He said, we exist to save the lost. It's what we're all about. And did you know that half the people in your community do not go to church anywhere on a Sunday morning? Half of them. I'm talking about anywhere. And did you also know that statistics say that if invited, half of them would come? That's pretty shocking. You know the difference in a dying church and a church that's alive and growing? It's just one word. Invite. Invite. And all we have to do to get that fourth of the people of our community to come to church is invite them. They're waiting for an invitation from us. And our love for the lost compels us to go and make that invitation, does it not? You know, in spite of the fact that one of the major reasons that we exist as a church to save the lost, you can find churches not saving the lost. In fact, some of them hadn't had a conversion in years. Many years ago, I converted a fellow in uh, Evansville, Indiana. I had the opportunity of studying with him, teaching him, and he was baptized. And after a little while, he and his family moved over to a little town right outside of Indianapolis. He called me one day and he said, Wayne, uh, we're going to this little church. He said, we only have about 50 or so in attendance. We need a revival. He said, you, could you come and preach us a revival? And then he went on to say, he said, now, we don't have any money. It'll be a mission meeting. Uh, so I, I said, well, let me ask the elders about that. And if they'll let me come, I'll come and preach for you. Bob was a new Christian, and I felt compelled to go and share the gospel with that church and with him. And so I went to the elders, and I said, now, here's the situation. About 50 folks. They don't have a regular preacher. They hadn't had a revival in years. Bob wants me to come, and I gave him a little background. And they said this. They said, Wayne, we'll send you down, pay your expenses, if you'll ask them to work for this revival. He said, you know, a lot of times you give somebody something free, they don't appreciate it. They don't work for it. So he said, if they'll get out and advertise, if they'll invite people to come, if they'll work for this meeting, we'll send you. So I called Bob, and I said, okay, Bob, here are the conditions. He said, that's fine, we'll do it. So the day came when I arrived at that little community and went in that church building. They had a tiny little foyer, smaller than most bathrooms. There was an old rickety table sitting out in the foyer, and on top of it was a big old stack of advertising. Now, I guess if people walked in off the street, they'd give them one. But I'll tell you something else. After I saw what it looked like, I was glad it was on the inside of the building and not out on the street. It was about the shoddiest, cheapest advertising you could see. It was back during the days of mimeograph machines, if you remember, and some of those styluses made the ink run, and that's what it was. It was just an ugly, ugly little advertisement. Let me just say this, folks. You can advertise with my name on it with third-class stuff, but if you put Jesus' name on it, it ought to be the best we can do. And so that was that old shoddy material. 
I came on into the building and I looked around. It was about time for church to start. And so I said, where are the prospects? And so the fellow looked around a little bit and he said, you see that woman sitting right back there and that teenage girl sitting by her? I said, yes. He said, they're our prospects. And then he told me something else, which was to say, but don't count on them responding. They're not good prospects. They're all we got, but they're not good prospects. And so with that encouragement, I started that revival, and I preached my heart out, folks. I preached as if there were 1,000 people there instead of about 50. And on the last night of the meeting, something happened that has never happened any place that I've ever held a revival. 100% of my prospects responded. All two of them walked down the aisle took their seat on the front. When the invitation song finished, I sat down, and it got really quiet in the building. In a minute, one of the brethren came over and tapped me on the shoulder, said, aren't you going to take their confession? I said, I thought you were. He said, well, we'd rather you do it. I said, okay. So I got up and took their confession, then I sat back down. He came back, and he said, well, aren't you going to baptize them? I said, well, I thought you were. He said, no, we'd rather you do it. I said, that'll be fine. And so they told the ladies to go one way, and the men started over this direction. Two of them were walking with me. And one of them said as we walked toward the baptistry, boy, I hope there's some water in that baptistry. Now, can you imagine that? You call a man to come hundreds of miles to do a revival. They don't even know if there's water in the baptistry. And then the other one said this, I hope there's some clothes over there for those ladies to put on. Now, when we got to the door going into the baptistry, there were spider webs. Now, I don't know why God made spiders. I'm sure there's a reason. Uh, and snakes, I don't know that either. But uh, I don't like spiders, and I don't like snakes. I'm not afraid of them, see, because perfect love casteth out fear. But I, I respect them more than anybody you ever saw, see. So we got to the spider webs. I just stepped back. Southern gentleman. I let them go first. And so they fought the spider webs. And surely enough, there was water in the baptistry, and there were clothes for the ladies, and I baptized those two women. And I'll tell you, folks, I don't know that I've ever seen a church more excited in my life. They were thrilled. I don't know how long it had been since they'd seen a new birth. Do you know if there's water in the baptistry here? When's the last time you took a friend by arm and escorted them to the dressing area? You see, we exist to save the lost. That's who we are, what we're all about. Little old lady saved up her money and took one of those whirlwind European trips. She didn't have much, but nobody enjoyed the trip more than she. And they finally arrived in London. They went to the very famous Westminster Abbey. And as they were being guided through this grand old cathedral, the guide with a lot of pride and arrogance said, this is the most famous cathedral in the world. He said, right over here is where the queen sits. And right over here, and he began to name members of parliament. And said, they sit here and they sit here. And he said it again. This is the most famous cathedral in the world. And then he made tragic error number one. He asked, are there any questions? The little old lady's hand went up. She said, sir, she looked around, and with trembling voice, she said, Sir, in this grand cathedral, 
has anybody been saved here lately? And the guide turned red-faced. And then he made tragic error number two. He said, pardon me, ma'am, would you repeat the question? And she said, sir, in this beautiful place, has anybody been saved here lately? And then he said, after a moment, he said, ma'am, nobody's ever asked that question here before, and frankly, I don't know the answer. Do we have buildings that are comfortable and beautiful, but we're not saving the lost? It's our cathedral. I'm saying to you folks, this week we need to do everything in our power to bring our lost friends to this revival and help them to know Jesus, to learn the truth of his word, and to become a part of his family. And a bunch of folks out there are just waiting for your invitation. I want to tell you for the next few minutes how much we ought to love lost people. I've been preaching now for 57 years full-time, started in 1962 in Evansville, Indiana. I've been with six churches in those 57 years. But I want to tell you this. I am just as passionate or maybe more so today as when I first began as a young preacher full of desire to see the law saved. And I hope that you have that desire, and I want to just talk about how much we ought to love lost people. I think we ought to love lost people like God loves them. You know the golden text we call it in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know the word to me is the biggest word in that whole verse? It's the little word S-O, for God so loved the world. I don't know if we grasp that. I don't know if we really understand how much he loves us. Let me ask you this. If you had a son or a daughter or a grandchild and somebody spit in their face, how would it make you feel? You were standing there. You had the power to do something. Would you just stand idly by and let your child be spit upon? And yet the Bible says they spit in Jesus' face. They spit in his face. They plucked out his beard. They slapped him with the open hand. What if somebody slapped one of your children? Would you just let it pass? Would you say, well, vengeance belongs to God? I have an idea most of us would do something. But I'm telling you, they abused the Son of God like we can't even begin to imagine. And God let it happen because he so loved you and me. God so loved the world. God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10 says we were enemies, Romans 5, 8, and 10. We were enemies. And God sent his only begotten son to die for us. Can you imagine the scourging the Jews had a law, 40 stripes save one. The Romans had no such law. They might beat a man till one got tired and hand the whip to somebody else. They nearly cut him in two. Can you imagine how the blood poured down his back? Can you imagine God watching his son being beaten so severely and not doing something? You know, Jesus said, I could call 10,000 angels. I'd condemn the world and set him free. That's what Psalm says. And he said he could call legions of angels. But he didn't because God 
so loved you and me. I hope that stirs you. God loves the lost so much he would let his son suffer all of that abuse because he wants the world saved. And then what about Jesus and his love? He said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. You say, what's what you're here for? What's, what's this all about? I've come to seek and to save the lost. And Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy 1.15. He said, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Then he said, I'm the chief one. Christ came to save the lost. That's why he came. And you know the Bible teaches about how much he loves us and how much he did for us. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. Did all of that. For Jesus so loved the world. Don't you see how we need to love? If I'm going to be like Jesus, and the Bible says he left us an example that we should follow in his steps, we're to have the mind of Christ. I can't have the mind of Christ and follow in his steps if I'm not loving lost people. You know, the Holy Spirit cares about lost people. The Bible tells us that the Bible was given to the Spirit of God. Holy men of old spake as they were moved with the Holy Spirit. That all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly or completely furnished unto every good work. This is it. Holy Spirit gave it to us. And you know, in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. The Spirit's involved. Even the angels of heaven care about lost people. Scripture says, When one comes back, a lost is found, there's rejoicing in heaven among the angels. And you know, when Jesus came to this world, they sang, Glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. They sang at his birth. They rejoice when one is born again. Heaven cares about lost people. And I'm urging us, folks, let's care more about the lost. This week, will you do everything within your power to just make a phone call? You've been praying about this revival, and for that I'm so grateful. And we'll talk a little bit about that in the next hour. But I'm so grateful you, you've prayed. you prayed hard. Now put some legs in your prayers. Prayer is not good enough if we don't do something about it. I heard about a preacher one time who preached a sermon entitled, Are You Willing to Accept the Responsibility for an Answered Prayer? If you pray for the hungry to be fed, are you willing to do it? If you pray for the sick to get well, are you willing to visit and help them? See, are you willing to accept the responsibility? You pray for the lost. Are you willing to invite them? Are you willing to teach them? Do what you can. I think we also need to realize that we need to love lost people like that early church. You know, the Bible teaches us in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 7 that Stephen was stoned. And then chapter 8, verse 1, it says a great persecution came upon all the church following his, his stoning. And then in verse 4, it says, They then that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Jesus said, go teach all nations. He said, go preach to every creature. Did they do it? Let me tell you, folks, within 29 years... After giving the Great Commission, Paul said, it's done. He said, have they not all heard? Yea, verily, their sound went into all the world and earth and their words to the end of the world, Romans 10, 18. Everybody's heard, Colossians 1, 23. The gospel has been preached to every creature. It's amazing. They didn't have TV. They didn't have printed page like we have. They did, how did they do it? They went everywhere preaching the word. 
You know who was a missionary? Every one of the Christians was a missionary. Wherever they went, they shared the message. And the persecution was important because Jesus needed to get them out of Jerusalem, send them back home and everywhere, and wherever they went, they took Jesus with them. So we need to learn to love like that. We need to learn like the early church. They sacrificed their lives. They gave up their homes. Whatever it took, their purpose was to bring lost people to Christ. So I'm saying to you then today, in our modern day, we have all these opportunities. We've got television, radio. I mean, we can preach all over the world. But there are people that do not even know the name of Jesus in our world today. They don't even know his name. Several years ago, a friend of mine went to Thailand on a mission trip. <clears throat> this was back several years ago when Pat Boone and uh, Elvis Presley were very famous. And he said there were billboards of Elvis and billboards of Pat Boone and all these TV stars in Thailand. He said one day as he went out on the street, though, a little boy approached him and wanted to shine his shoes. He said, I didn't really care about a shoe shine, but I wanted to help the little boy. So he let him shine his shoes. And while he was shining them, he asked the little boy, he said, son, do you know who Jesus Christ is? And the little fella said, is he a movie star? He knew Pat Boone. He knew Elvis. He had never heard of Jesus. Had never heard of Jesus. Have you ever wondered how many people in this town, how many little boys and girls right here in Jonesboro never hear the name of God except in vain? Never hear about Jesus? Because in their home, God is cursed they don't ever go to Sunday school, never go to church. They don't know Jesus right here in Jonesboro. So can we care enough about them to try to reach the kids? You know, kids will come to Sunday school with you. We found out that when we had bus programs. Kids will come. Parents are usually glad to send them. Now, we don't have bus programs anymore. Maybe it was a good idea, maybe it wasn't, but we don't have them anymore. But I'll tell you what we could do. In our neighborhood, most of us have room in our car on Sunday morning. And most of us know kids in our neighborhood who are not going to church. And we could go and ask their parents, would it be all right if I took your child to Sunday school Sunday? You'd be surprised at how many might come with you. It'd be a start. And if you get the children, guess what happens? After a while, you get the parents. Might be the only inroad you have to reaching those parents. But if you get the children, you get the parents. And so let's love like the early church. And then I also think we ought to have, we ought to know this, salvation for the lost regardless of the cost. You see, we're so concerned about our money. We, we, we start talking about the Lord's work and planning our budgets and all of that. And a lot of times, the evangelism part, especially when it comes to foreign missions, doesn't get much attention Salvation for the lost regardless of the cost. That's why the early church, would they would sell their possessions and give it to the church. I don't know how much sacrificing we need to do, folks, but I think it's a tragedy that a missionary has to go all over the country begging for support for us to send him someplace. Many years ago, a fellow came to us in Milan, Tennessee. He wanted to go to, uh, to Thailand to be a missionary. And uh, no, it was Pakistan. He wanted to go to Pakistan. Let me ask you this. If on the radio in the morning they said you'd have a free vacation two weeks to Pakistan, would you try to win it? Huh. 
I don't want to go to Pakistan, not for two weeks. This old boy wanted to move his family over there to be missionaries. I'll never forget his logo on his card. He had a little business card. His last name was Goins, G-O-I-N-S. And here's what it said at the bottom, a Goins family for a coming Lord. But the Goins family never went because the American churches never sent. Here was a man willing to go and he was begging people for support and never got it. Folks, we need to be compassionate to lost people. We need to love like that early church. I think sometimes we love church buildings more than we love lost people. Let me tell you about a church that was going to build an educational facility, additional educational facility. And so they talked about it. They needed it. And they said, you know, um, what we need to do is just raise the money on one Sunday. We're not going to finance this. We're not going to borrow the money. not going to sell any church bonds. We're just going to finance this or buy it ourselves, pay for it on one Sunday. And so they talked it up. They had a finance committee. They had people in charge of the building program. And they worked on that. And finally the day arrived when they were going to take that special contribution. They had a goal. And so that day the finance committee chairman got up and told about uh, what they were doing, how they wanted to do this, and how we've been talking to you about it. Then the building committee fellow got up and talked about how important this building is to our kids. It's going to save kids. And then the preacher preached a wonderful sermon entitled, Will a Man Rob God? Then they took up the contribution. Before church was dismissed that day, one of the ushers came down the aisle with a piece of paper in his hand, handed it up to the preacher. The preacher looked at it in a bright smile, flashed on his face. He read it out. He said, today we have exceeded our goal. We have raised more than enough money to completely pay for our new educational wing. And guess what happened? That church burst into applause. Now, this was a church that wouldn't think about clapping their hands for a baptism. But they clapped their hands that day because they had raised that money. And in fact, nobody was in a hurry to leave that day to go home. They didn't fuss at the preacher about the long sermon. Nobody said anything. They stood around for a long time after church, bragging on each other and saying, we did it, and they were just rejoicing. Next Sunday, same church. Preacher preached a wonderful sermon. Two teenage boys walked down the aisle, confessed their faith in Christ, and were baptized that morning. When the preacher came out from the baptistry, he said to the church, this is the greatest day in the lives of these two young men. And I know today when we're dismissed, you're going to want to come by and congratulate them. When the final prayer was prayed, eight people, eight people came up to tell them they were proud of them. Do we get more excited about building programs than we do about saving the lost? I'm just wondering. Salvation for the lost regardless of the cost. I think we can do more. I think missionaries ought not to have to beg for help. I think we ought to support them. If they're willing to go, we ought to be willing to send. Several years ago, George Bailey made this statement. He said, if you cannot go across in person, then at least come across in purse. We need to love the lost. 
It's who we are. It's what we're all about. That's our mission. That's our purpose. And that's our aim and our goal. Save the lost. And I think also we need to learn 15 till about we need to learn real compassion. You know, the Bible says Jesus looked out over the multitudes and had compassion on them. And in Matthew 9, 36, he said, Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send forth labors into the vineyard. He had compassion. He saw that the harvest was already white. And he said, Don't say four months, and then comes harvest, for it's white already unto harvest. And so he had compassion. And he said, Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth labors. In Matthew 14, 14, Jesus looked out over the multitudes. The Bible said he had compassion on them and he healed their diseases. Compassion, real compassion. It's a whole lot deeper than, you know, just say, well, I'd like to see the lost saved. I really would. I'm even willing to give a little more money because I'd like to, but I mean real compassion. I don't know about you, but I don't like stories that end badly. Do you? I don't. I hate a story that ends badly. Um, Sometimes my children, when they were growing up, would say, Dad, you ought to see this movie. And I'd say, how's it end? How's it end? You know, a lot of people say, don't tell me how it ends. You start to read a book. Don't tell me how it ends. I want to know how it ends. If it ends badly, I don't want to waste my time. Why would you want to read something or go to a movie that makes you feel bad? So I just don't like it. Do you remember Message in a Bottle? Any of you remember that movie? hate that movie. I believe if I could have gotten my hands on the author of that book at that moment, I'd have smacked him. It's a terrible movie. It ends terribly. I mean, you want to walk out of there saying, why? Why would you ever write a whole book that ends like this or do a movie? But it ends badly. Now, I'll tell you all of that to tell you this. There is a story in the Bible that ends badly. That's the story of the elder brother. Do you agree? The story of the elder brother ends terribly. His little brother came in from a life of sin, restored to his father, and the, little, the big brother comes in and has a fit. Now why is that story in the Bible? I don't think Jesus likes to tell bad stories. Can I tell you how I think he would have liked to have told a story? I think he would have liked to have said, once there was a man who had two sons, one day his younger son came to him and said, Father, uh, give me my inheritance now. And so the father divided his inheritance with his two boys. And not many days later, the younger son took his journey into a far country. And there he wasted all of his inheritance and in sinful living. And after a while, there was a famine in the land. He began to be in want. And he joined himself to a citizen of that country and was sent out in the fields to feed swine. And in that pig pen, he fain would have filled his belly on the husk the swine did eat. And no man gave to him. Meanwhile, back home. One evening after work, the elder brother called his mom and dad to come and sit down. He wanted to talk to them. And he said, I've made a decision and I want to tell you about it. In the morning, I'm leaving home to go and find my little brother. And his mother begins to cry, and she says, no, son, you, you can't. We've lost one son already. We can't take a chance on losing another. Please don't go. And he says, Mom, I heard you sobbing in the darkness the other night. I came in rather late, and I saw a light burning in his room. 
I ran up the steps, threw open the door to welcome him home. Mom, how long have you been keeping the light burning in his room? His father gets up and walks over to the boy and says, Son, you're a wonderful son, but I need you here. And Mom is right. We don't want to take a chance on losing you. He said, Dad, you know, you and I have hardly talked about him since he's been gone. I laugh. I put on a brazen front. I act like everything's okay, but inside, my heart's broken. He's my little brother. I love him. I'm going to go find him. Early the next morning, he's packed and ready to go, and Mom and Dad walk with him down the dusty road as far as their old frame will permit. The house is a mere speck in the distance. They stop, and the father takes hold of his son's hand and his wife's hand. He bows his head and prays. Tears fall at his feet when he prays. Dear God, please take care of my son. Help him to find his little brother and bring them both home to us. We love them so. And with that, he finishes his prayer and he says to his son, will you not just come on back home? We'll keep praying for your brother. And the boy says, no, Dad. i got to go find him. And I won't come back until I do. And so the days pass into weeks and weeks into months and finally months slide into years. But one day that old father sitting up on a hill looking down that dusty road sees the form not of one boy but two. He knows who they are. And as fast as his old frame will permit, he runs down the hill, passes the house, shouting orders, bring a ring, bring robe, kill the fatted calf. He runs out to where the, older, the younger son is, who throws his arms around the younger son, and the boy says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I don't deserve to be your son. The old father never lets him say, take me back as a hired servant. He hugs the boy, welcomes him home, and he says, put on this robe. He didn't want his son going to the house looking like a, a servant. Put on this robe. Put on this ring, this ring, a sign of authority. It means you're my son. Put on these shoes. Bare feet were a sign of slavery. You're not a slave. You're a son. You go see your mom. She's dying to see you. And with that, he turns to the elder brother and he says, you're the most noble son a father ever had. You brought him back. You brought joy back into our lives. And I just want you to know that everything I have is yours. And the, younger son, the older son says, no, Dad. I found my little brother sitting in an awful pig pen, starving to death, dressed in those horrible rags, I begged him to come home, but he said he couldn't. He'd embarrassed you, he'd wasted everything you'd given him, and he just couldn't come home. But I told him how much we wanted him to come home and how badly we loved him, and, and I told him this. I said, if you'll come home, we'll forget all about that first division of the property. We'll just be brothers, and we'll half everything. And the father turns to another servant. He says, don't kill one calf, kill two calves. My elder son is the hero of the occasion. He'll sit at the seat of honor tonight. And they began to be merry. I wish he could have ended it like that. Let me tell you why he told it like he did. That elder brother represented the religious leaders of his day. The religious leaders of his day did not care about lost people. 
if one were to come back crawling on his belly, they might accept him, but maybe not. And so he told the story and ended it the way he did because they didn't love lost people. If he were to come today to this church, how would he tell the story? Would he tell it like it is in the Bible, or would he tell it like I told you? Do we have really, really deep compassion for lost people? That's what we're going to do this week, folks. We're going to be after them, right? Try our dead level best to bring them in, teach them the truth, and baptize them into Christ this week. I want to close with one final thing. I'm not talking about loving the lost next week, not next month, not next year, not getting around to it sometime. I'm talking about loving them right now. Love them right now. Leonard Ravenhill wrote these words. He said, could a mariner sit idle, let men drown and give no hand? Could a doctor sit idle or let men die? Can a doctor sit idle, let men die and give no hand? Can a fireman sit idle, let men burn and then no hand? Can you sit at ease in Zion with the world around you damned? Can you? Can't we love them now? About 5,400 people die every 30 minutes. Most of them don't know Jesus. Many in our town will pass away this week. Many of them don't know Jesus. And the more we wait, the more we lose. We're, we're not growing as a church. We have begun to decline. We used to be the fastest growing religious group in America back in the 50s, 60s. Percentage-wise, we were the fastest growing. But now we're not. And you know why? It's because we've quit being evangelistic. Almost no churches have revivals anymore. We no longer have Monday night visitation in most of our churches. We quit our zone programs. We don't do Jewel Miller film strips. We don't do open Bible. We say those things are archaic. They're out of date. People don't want to see that anymore. But you know what we didn't do? We didn't replace it with something better. If you're going to give up a method, replace it with something better. And we didn't do that. And so today, many of our churches are declining. So this week, we're going to be after the lost. I thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to knowing all of you better. So let's bow for a moment of prayer before we close. Holy God, our Father, fill our hearts with a love for the lost. May we look upon them as potential brothers and sisters and help us to know, Father, that if we just share your, your son with them, that they too would become a part of your family. Help us to genuinely love them. Help us to genuinely serve as best we can. Help us this week in this revival that we'll truly be able to win the lost, that this church will grow spiritually, numerically, and that they'll be even stronger than they have been in the past. Thank you for the prayers they've been praying and now, Lord, please answer those prayers with great results in this revival, for this is our prayer through Jesus. Amen. Well, we have just a few minutes. All right, just a few minutes before the next service.